The Gestalt Gardener podcast is brought to you by Varicosity Vein Center, providing health assessment screenings and compassionate care to improve your vascular functionality and quality of life. Our doctors and vein specialists offer solutions to painful varicose veins, spider veins, and other venous diseases to our patients. Now offering complimentary vein screenings in Jackson, Madison, and Ridgeland. Information and appointment scheduling at varicosityveincenter.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Hall Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Good morning, good morning. Ain't it a great morning outside? A little windy in parts of the state, a little rainy, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, is spring ever bust? No, spring is not busting loose. It's still winter, and it's great. We don't have to wait for spring. We can enjoy the winter in the south. And we're going to be talking about gardening in the south in the winter right now. This is a live program, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's the Gestalt Gardener, and I'm your host, horticulturist Felder Rushing. My awesome producer, Java Chapman, and I are going to open up the, the screen door. We're going to let some of this pollen in, let some of the, that wind blow the pollen out. And we're just going to talk about stuff you can be doing right now, stuff you ought to be doing, and stuff you may not ought to do. We're going to talk about gardening with y'all today. My, my hat's caught up in my, my What's going on, man? <laughs> You know, I'm not a professional radio guy. I tried to put these headphones on over my hat, and it wouldn't work, and it got caught up in my hair. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's sort of like, uh, you know, gardeners getting tangled up in their hose and their rake and all that kind of stuff, if you want a visual. I get it. So, uh, anyway, how are you doing this morning? Man, I'm okay, man. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm immediately sleepy. Last <laughs> night, I had to take my dog to the uh, to the late night vet. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. She's what? getting up in age and uh, like some kind of skin problems. So we had to kind of take care of that. And, you know, we're on a road to recovery. <laughs> yeah, well, good. She's feeling better today. Did she get some powder to put on or something like that? Yeah, we got some sprays, some uh, some some allergy medicine. I didn't know that, you know, these such things exist, but the same way people can take allergy medicine um, when the seasons change, it's the same uh, thing for your dog. It's happening. Yeah. I mean, well, I got just a little rain this morning. I was about to go out, going to walk all the way here, and I mean, the bottom just fell out. So I drove part of the way, parked, and walked the rest of the way. Uh, but we got a lot of rain, which is good because my green truck was yellow this morning. I was just about to say, all of the puddles <laughs> from this rain uh, are, are, are yellow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I, people think I'm really cheerful this time of year. Nope. And Antihistamines. <laughs> so anyway, we got plenty of stuff to talk about. And uh, I, I just want to uh, throw out uh, a real quick thing that happened last night, you know, I go to this pub. It's a real pub. It's not a bar or restaurant. It's a pub where you walk in, Felder, you know, they, you know, it's just like Cheers. I would say everybody knows your name. Yeah, it's a bun- bunch of old old gals and guys, you know, and nobody's hitting on anybody. Nobody you just, just want to have a drink, you know, a beer, go home. Anyway, I was talking to this guy sitting next to me who was, he had just gotten off work, and he was a bartender, right? And he's sitting by me. Funny, bartender goes to another bar drink. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it, and I'm— before I tell you the little thing that occurred to me, 
he and I were talking, fairly young guy, 30s or something like that, and uh, and it, and I, he, we never met. I said, hi, I'm Felder, blah, 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 blah. He said, well, and I said, I BS about gardening, about flowers for a living. That's what he said, what do you do? I said, I BS about flowers and stuff. He said, really? And we had already talked about how I'm one of the old guys up there. Every bar's got old guy. You know, d- doesn't matter what his name is. He's in every place. And uh, we were talking about hair growing over ears and all that. And I said, one of the days you'll get there. Anyway, he said, you like flowers. I started looking at birds. I'm getting interested in identifying birds. And I said, yeah, my daughter to- told me about a bird called a rufous-sided towhee, which I thought she was making up, but she was seven. Seven-year-old can't make it. Anyway, long story short— while we were talking, he went on his phone and was looking at rufous-sided towhee, and he said, hey, it's a type of sparrow. And I said, you know what? You're at the beginning of being one of those old guys at the bar, looking up and talking about birds. <laughs> and, 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 if, and if that person is listening, make sure you tune in oh, to yeah, Creature oh, Comforts. Yeah, let's, let's call him Nick. Okay, okay, okay Nick. <laughs> but anyway, here, here's the thing. Uh, bartenders who've been in for a long time, they can give each other this sort of a secret thing. They have a coin. It's a little coin thing. And it's by the, the, the fraternal order of bartenders. Not making this up. You can't join it. You've got to be invited by another bartender. And they can take this coin and go on. Anywhere in the world, lay it on the table, and the bartender there doesn't have theirs, they got to buy you a shot. <laughs> right? So here's what I'm thinking. What if we had a fraternal order of gardeners, and you run and say, I'm a gardener. Well, show me your, your coin. If they don't have the coin, they got to take some monkey grass home. Whoa. <laughs> or some ajuga or some other kind of weed. Now okay. we're cooking. <laughs> now we're cooking. You know, this is what comes out of a dark, really, really dark ale. <laughs> but a fraternal order of garden, show me your coin or you're going to have to take some of this ajuga. <laughs> I, 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 I see a, um, uh, what is it, a pledge drive gift in this. Wow. I, I see that. I see that. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's work on this. Anyway, that's the kind of stuff that you learn if you get out and about. Speaking of out and about, I came up here this morning to talk to people about gardening, and we got a, a, a caller from Batesville named Carol. Hey, Carol, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good, Hello. good. Uh, I'm hoping that you can help me save some hollies. We have hollies that we've pruned so they look like trees, and they're about two stories high up against our house. Yeah. But after December, they started losing a lot of leaves. And some of their tips are black, and some of their tips are green. And so any advice on how to save them uh, is much appreciated. Well, first of all, welcome to my club. I have a cliera, a cliera shrub. It's a generic-looking, holly-looking shrub in front of my house. It was planted when my house was built in the 1940s. Okay, it's an old bird. And I pruned it up in a tree that my children climbed in when they were young, and they're in their 30s. Okay, so, and I came back from England, and it doesn't have a leaf on it, and it's never, ever dropped its leaves. Perfectly fine, but all the leaves got knocked off. So I know what you're talking about. Here's all I can do, and what I'd recommend it. First of all, scratch on the bark, and if it's bright green beneath the bark, it's alive. That's the first thing. Then look up and down the trunk and make sure there's not any split bark. And if you're not sure what split bark is, it ain't. 
because it'll be really obvious. The bark will be cracked and split and peeling. If that happened, that's tough. I'm from the Delta, and I saw this quite often on some plants. That from there up, the plant's going to die, whether it's now or in the middle of the summer or next summer. So look for split bark. Probably doesn't have any, okay? But if it does, then that's tough. You're going to have to cut it off below there and let it start over again. And then the third thing is, while you're looking for split bark, see if there's the tiny little tubes of sawdust, pale tan-colored, about the size of a pencil lid, if you're old enough to remember what a pencil is. But if you see little tubes sticking out, oh, a quarter inch, half inch of, of sawdust, that's a borer. And they attack plants all the time, but a weak plant, they get in. A, a healthy plant pushes them back out. I've seen this on figs this in the past two weeks. Figs, I saw it on a, on, on a bay tree. Uh, you know, So this is something that happens when plants are weak. So green tissue, split bark. Little tubes of sawdust sticking out of it. Those are the those are the things to look for. As far as what you can do, if they put out new growth this spring, it's going to be at the ends of the branches, which means it's going to be really really leggy. So this is a good opportunity to do what we call rejuvenation pruning. You can cut the plant back as far as you want to a foot tall, to five feet, ten feet. You can cut it up to the second story, but cut it in a kind of a snow cone, natural shape. And the new growth will come out there instead of way up high and be leggy. So if you want to thicken it back up, wherever you make cuts, the new growth is going to come out right there. So just cut them back as far as you want to where you want new growth to come back out. That'll, that'll, and this is done all the time in old and historic landscape called rejuvenation. And that's it. That's all I can do. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I haven't seen the split bark, so that's good news. It's yeah. just they're naked hollies. Yeah, you know, and it, it, right around Batesville. And notice how everybody's looks like that. Most of them do anyway. But I've never had a Cleara ever defoliate and mine dropped every leaf on it. And it's still fine, but I'm going to cut mine back into a, a snow cone shape. Uh, I'm going to cut it back by about a third. Okay. Okay, well, thank you so much. I good, appreciate it. Good Have luck. Good luck on it, Carol. Thank you. All righty. Yeah, right off the bat, she asked me something I knew, and that's <laughs> that's sort of nice. But uh, Java, everybody's got this kind of problem. On the coast, they have a little bit of it. Up in up in our, our listeners up in the, the, the Tennessee, North Mississippi area, they've seen a lot of it. And uh, and we're all in the same boat, same boat. Uh, by the way, the uh, plant, of you know, I tr- every week I try to come in uh, with uh, an heirloom, a native, and an edible to talk about. Well, the native is a type of plant that grows out in the woods. A lot of people call it wild honeysuckle. It looks more like honeysuckle. It really but, does. Yeah, but this is actually a native azalea, you know, and azaleas from Asia are evergreen. Ours are deciduous. They make uh, large shrubs, small trees, drop their leaves in the winter, but they're just loaded. This is a pink one with wh- uh, white flowers with pink throats. There's orange ones. There's yellow ones. There's all different kinds, but they're real, real fragrant. And when they bloom, you can see these giant swallowtail butterflies on them. So this is a great, great native plant, important for hummingbirds, important for butterflies, and most important, it's not bothered by the cold because it's from here. It likes it. So anyway, native honeysuckle, uh, deciduous honeysuckle, pinkster bloom, uh, azalea, um, native azalea, whatever you want to call it. You want to call it wild honeysuckle, that's fine. But they're terrific, terrific landscape plants that uh, can be up above your other plants. So anyway, just want to throw that out. Uh, we got the lines open. Go ahead and give us a call. And um, 
I'm going to just do a little short little rant. I think we call it things that things. What was it? Answers to unasked questions. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to call it a rant. Well, you're, ex- you're giving an explanation. That's right. And so I want to talk about something a lot of people are going to disagree with. And it's not that I don't care. It just doesn't matter. And now here on the Gestalt Gardener with Felder Rushing, it's answers to unasked questions <laughs> with Felder Rushing. You know, a little short thing. I'm getting a lot of emails and a lot of stuff on the Mississippi Gardening Facebook about fire ants because this time of year, they sort of split up. They start new mounds. They spread around. They're popping up everywhere, which is unique to, to this time of year. It's rainy. They come up. They're trying to warm up, and they're spreading. People want to know what can they do. Uh, and there's two basic approaches well, other than ignoring them. Just ignore them. Learn how to live with them. That works. It ain't fun, but it works. But there's the, the poisons that we use, the insecticides, they come in two types. One is, is uh, contact. It's either liquid or uh, they mix with water or or granule you put, and it kills them by contact, and they spread it. And and even ants that touch ants have touched it. That'll work, and that works pretty good. But you got to treat the whole mound. The other kind are baits. Baits take a little bit longer, and they're basically something that 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 the ants think is food. They pick it up, they take it back, they feed it to the queen. Queen dies, and that's it. Pros and cons. Problem with baits are they take a week or so, and if you put it out and you water or it rains, it's not tasty anymore. The ants don't pick it up, so you have to put baits out, kind of dry weather, and they can pick it up and take it back right away. So that's how baits work, and they are effective. But if you put it out in the lawn and then mow the mounds, they pick up and move before the bait works. So baits work a little while; they take a little while, but they work well. Liquids and granules work really, really well, and they're they're safe. They don't sell stuff that's really, really bad for the for for your dogs and pets. Just keep your kids and your dogs off till it dries. That's it. My rant is <clears throat> home remedies. J- Job, I hear them all. Everybody says this will kill fire ants. This that'll kill fire ants. Well, here's the, the 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 remedies, home remedies that I hear all the time. 40 years I've been hearing these, and based on research and observation and experience of people who work with fire ants for a living, we can categorically say these do not work. However, Aunt Mamie does them, and she thinks they work. I ain't going to argue with Aunt Mamie. Uh, Farmer Jim says, well, I put it on my yard, and it works. No, they don't work. But if it makes you feel better, that falls in the first category. Just ignore the ants because that works. Here are the ones that don't work, and I can explain why. But I'll tell you at the end where you can go read about it yourself. Uh, club soda doesn't fizz them to death. It just doesn't fizz them. It doesn't drive the, the oxygen out of their, their nest and they suffocate. No, it doesn't. Uh, coffee grounds, nope. Uh, instant grits. Everybody says you put grits on fire ants. Java. Fire ants don't eat solid food. They eat liquid stuff. So they can't eat grits and they're going to swell up and bust. Grits don't work. Everybody swears they do. They don't. But if you want to go ahead, it's just a waste of good food. That's all it is to it. Uh, might as well put butter and sugar and a little milk on it, too, while you're at it, you know. Anyway, here's another thing. Diatomaceous earth. It's really finely silica stuff you put out there, and the insects walk across it, and it cuts them. And they, they leak. But it doesn't go back to the queen. If you don't get the queen, it's not going to work. So diatomaceous earth, yeah, it can kill individual insects. You can you can eat it. I mean, you know, it cleans your insides out. 
not really effective. Uh, dish soap, mixing soap, uh, dish soap with uh, with water and pouring in there, it'll coat and suffocate a few ants. As soon as it dries, it doesn't work. Uh, ground cinnamon, nope. Orange peels, no. There is a, an ingredient in orange peels that will kill insects, but scattering orange peels around, no, that doesn't work. Uh, mixing mounds, you take a shovel full of ants from this mound, Throw it on that mound, they duke it out, they kill each other. That used to work, but now we have mounds that have multiple colonies. So mixing the mounds uh, makes you feel good, and it does spread them around a lot, but that really doesn't work. Uh, Last two, one is pouring boiling water on them. Yep, you can kill a fire ant. You put two or three gallons of boiling water, and and it it, it works. Kills your grass, too. But I can't imagine anything more dangerous than wandering around the yard with gallons of boiling water. Come on, folks. This is not smart. And then the last one, pouring gasoline on them. Uh, Yeah, it'll work. No, don't do it. Don't I think do. for some people that's a favorite pastime <laughs> with yeah, the gasoline but, but and the fire. Know, but you mount. know that's a psychological thing. You know that's a hobby thing. But but gasoline will kill your grass, and it costs three dollars a gallon. Come on, get you some insecticide. Put it on the mouth. Forget about it. Insecticides you could eat it by the spoonful compared to what gasoline can do to you. So just be careful. Use a bait. Use a, a, a something that says fire ant killer on it. And uh, or else do what I do. I got fire ants in my front yard, my compost, my backyard. I just ignore them. Sometimes I water them at the hose and make them mad. But uh, me and the fire ants, we get along okay. Now I think what you were saying about the way that you have to make sure you kill the queen because um, the other things just kind of get rid of the cosmetic mound. And they say that if you see one mound, then it means like a couple other are in development. Yeah, you know they're under the ground, people. Well, they, they are. You got to get the queen but in, anyway that it's not a really rant but i'm just saying i know ain't mamie grits work for you but no they don't that's my rant i would say but ain't mamie her grits have been yes yes ma'am <laughs> but anyway i have to i have to every now and then i have to sort of say here's the 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 the, the baseline of our data that's it that's it got nothing else to say and that has been Felder's Answers to Unanswered Questions. Uh, yeah, if you want more information, uh, go go to a site called fireants.com. Fireants.com. Might be fireant with, without an S, but fireants.com. And it, it lists all these things and how they work and which ones don't work and why. Fireants.com. So anyway, um, I do want to mention that I'm doing a seminar uh, on gardening, the Pike County Spring Horticulture Seminar and it's open to the public next Tuesday at noon uh, at the I forget the name uh, South. I'm gonna have to look it up. It's the community college outside of of, of Natchez. I mean of, of of Macomb, and I'll look it up uh, during our break. But I'm gonna be doing a thing at noon, slow gardening, Southern style. So if you wanna uh, j- uh, jump in Tuesday at noon. Pike County, I think it's the Southwest Community College. I'm going to look it up. But um, I've been on the campus several times. But it's in Macomb. Next Tuesday at noon, I'll get more details in a little bit. So uh, I found it. It is the uh, the, the Southwest Mississippi Community College. Uh, it's, it's right outside of Macomb. It's going to be a Tuesday at 12 o'clock and just outside of Macomb. And it's 
sponsored by the Pike County Master Gardens Association. Uh, also, before we get this call, the uh, Brookhaven Camellia Society. I talked to the president of the other day. His dad was a huge uh, international. He was president of the, the National Camellia Society. Anyway, they've got this show coming up this Saturday. It's going to be at the, uh, the the Brookhaven Building, which is on uh, Beltline Road in Brookhaven. Uh, the 70th Annual Camellia Show, uh, Saturday, March the 4th. Um, and they're going to have public viewing from 2 o'clock to 5 o'clock. So if you want some more information about that, holler at us. Uh, meanwhile, let's go to Joey from Tremont. Joey, what's going on, man? Hey, Felder. Good uh, morning. Thank you. What's what's going on? Thanks for holding. What you got going on? Well, uh, I've never had any luck growing onions. My daddy could. And I've done it the way he did it. Mm-hmm. He'd make it row up, yep. throw uh, purple 13 on it, mix it in, and then bust it out and plant the onions, yeah. cover them up. And then he said they like nitrogen, and then when they get you know a good start on them, he'd go buy and side dress them. Yeah. I do that and it does not work. What am I doing wrong? Well, a couple of things. First of all, triple 13 is an agriculture slash general gardening fertilizer. And if you use it more than once a year, if you use it more than every two or three years, you're overdoing it. Farmers don't use triple 13 every year. They use it every two or three years and they use just nitrogen on it. So you might be overdoing it, the fertilizer. Real easy to do. It's like putting way too much salt on your egg. You just can't eat it anymore. Well, so I, I'm what just what you suggest. Okay, it just triple thirteen. If you've been using, it, that's fine. But only use it every two or three years or so, and then the rest of the year use something that's just nitrogen because that's the one that needs to be replaced every year. Anyway, here's the deal about uh, onions. They don't have big. They don't have deep roots, and uh, so you have to sort of spoon feed them. If you give them too much fertilizer, it's like giving a kid too much too much sugar. So a little bit of fertilizer uh, right at the base of it because you're trying to get it down to those roots that are right under the bulb. They don't have much of a root. So just a little bit. If you put it five inches away, roots ain't going to get it. So tiny, tiny amounts. And here's the other thing. Onions don't really need this, but most of the time it really helps them. Uh, If you look at onions that are grown commercially, by the time they harvest them, they're just about sitting on top of the ground. If you because when they start making the bulb, you need to kind of pull the dirt. Unless you got really really good dirt, uh, you need to pull it back from the bulb so it's it's sitting halfway or more out of the ground. That's what makes yes, it swell sir, up. Did that too. Yeah, so it could just be that you're doing too much fertilizer. You know, think okay, so think uh, think plant them and and when they get to grow and put a little nitrogen. Just right around the base of not much at all. I mean, you know, if you're using ammonium nitrate, three pounds will cover a thousand square feet. Three pounds—that's a pint. That, excuse me, that's a quart and a half for a thousand square feet. And so you're sprinkling it around there. If it, it's about a pinch per plant. Okay, I got you. Now, thank you. All right, good luck on it, Joey. Maybe I'll have a crop this year. Uh, I'll, I'll bring the tomatoes. You bring the onions. We'll have a sandwich. Let's do it. All righty, man. See you later. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, now let's slide up to Carroll County and talk with Walker. Walker, good morning, sir. Uh, Good morning. Uh, I have a – y'all discussed how the crepe myrtle is a bush as much as a tree and how coming up from the roots is a problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I've heard lots of ways to deal with that. And I've ended up dealing with it this way. I'll cut it off, uh, the, the bushy part, and I'll put bottles on them. So what we got is a combination of a crepe myrtle and a bottle tree. Okay. okay. 
just to just have fun with it, right? Make, no, but uh, but uh, not a lot, and it you know doesn't bush out as much. Yeah, yeah. That's a, you know you know a lot of people don't understand you know a lot of the stuff that people do that they think is kind of quirky, kind of artsy, kind of uh, weird and all. A lot of times they they have basis in reality. So uh, that's a good one. So uh, how how many bottles do you put on your crepe myrtle? Oh, uh, uh, I got two crepe myrtles out in front of the house, and I've got uh, uh, six on one, and and oh, probably half a dozen on the other as well. Yeah. Also, another problem because here in Carroll County, they don't recycle glass, so that's one thing I can do with my glass. Yeah. Are you in Carrollton or just out from Carrollton? Carly. Okay, yeah. yeah that's what you say. There's a real bottle tree uh, in Carrollton. On you know, there's there's two ways to get there from from Highway 82. The one that goes past that old uh, log cabin community type of center. The one that goes uh, towards Greenwood. There's an old tin roof house that's got one of the biggest bottle trees I've ever seen in the front yard. I haven't taken that right. I'll have to try that. Thank you. All right. Appreciate you, Kyle Walker. Good tip. Bye <laughs> bye. Okay, let's slide up to Horn Lake now. Elizabeth, good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Sure. Uh, I just wanted to ask about the strange weather. Everything is blooming too early, as I'm sure you know. But yes. In December, we had that very, very deep freeze, and then a couple of weeks ago, we had an ice storm where the ice lingered for two or three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daffodils have been glorious the prettiest they've ever been but they had not bloomed at the time that we had the ice storm right the fascia was blooming before the ice storm bloomed right through the ice and was just as pretty after the ice mm-hmm. as it had been before so i just want you to talk about um the impact of the weather did that make the daffodils better how did the fascia survive the ice anyway i'm gonna hang up and just listen to you t- explain <laughs> the weather Hey, okay, explain the weather. We need to get a weather person in here, but here's my take on it. I'm not a weather person. I'm not a meteorologist. haven't studied that. But I, as a gardener and as a garden expert, I've been paying real close attention to the weather for decades, for decades. Plus, I work with other horticulturists, people who, who program their crops, who want to get everything uh, you know, ready for certain seasons. You know, We have to keep an eye on the weather uh, in our profession. Uh, First observation, forsythias bloom okay in Mississippi. We say, ooh, it looks nice. But you need to see what they look like in Minnesota and Pennsylvania and Ohio and southern Canada. The further north you go, the better forsythias grow. They are magnificent, solid, beautiful plants in the coldest parts of our country. And they just do okay here. You know, but they do okay enough for us to like them. Anyway, so they're not affected by the weather. Uh, Red buds, a lot of our native plants are blooming perfectly fine right now. Weren't bothered by that weather at all. However, what what happened back in December wasn't just a cold snap. It wasn't just a hard freeze. It was the coldest that it normally gets in Mississippi and actually a little bit colder than our average cold temperature, which... Plants can take it if they get used to it, but plants have to gradually slow down for the winter. There's inf- there, there's stuff inside their cells that actually changes to sort of like an antifreeze, but it takes time. It's called hardening off. And that freeze we got, plants could have taken it if it happened in late January, but it happened when plants were still nice and supple and had leaves, and they hadn't had a chance to slow down and harden off. So it's like throwing cold water on somebody. It was just too fast. It was too hard, 
too early, and that's what caused the damage. It wasn't the temperature. It was the suddenness of it. Now, as far as the weather, I'm not going to get into this, but uh, I'm a scientist. I work with people all over the world. We look at records, and we have had the weirdest weather the past 10 years than we've had in recorded history, the hottest summers ever four out of the past five summers. This is nothing new. I'm not going to get into global warming and all, but climate change is real. Whether you believe what caused global warming doesn't matter to me, but climates are changing. Things are shifting. And this more rains where we don't have rain, harder droughts where we had rain, harder freezes, longer dry. Climate is changing. And um, nothing we can do about it. <laughs> you know, I'm going to lose some plants this year, Java, that can grow in Minnesota, but they froze in Mississippi because of that. Nothing I can do about it except just try hard, plant stuff that's better adapted. And I, I'm not going to whine about plants from Asia that froze in Mississippi, okay, because God didn't put those azaleas in our yard. We did. And they don't like it here. Now, what was that plant that you just said? It grows okay here? But does better in yeah forsythia forsythia yeah named after a guy named Forsyth this Forsythia when you say it grows better in like Minnesota and Pennsylvania what do you mean are they bigger deeper colors bigger or? more flowers tougher sturdier down here a lot of times they bloom at the same time they put leaves out but you know they're just stunning plants we have a lot of plants that need a certain amount of cold weather before they'll even bloom. You know, we can't grow lilacs in Mississippi. We don't get enough cold, you know. Uh, anyway, that's just the way to – climate is changing, and it's changing pretty rapidly. And we're going to have to either choose plants that can take it and stop whining about the plants that can't. That's what it boils down to. And if you want to grow plants that can't take the heat in the summer or the cold in the winter, don't grow them. If you want to grow them, don't whine about it. And I'm talking to me. I'm talking to me, Java. Anyway, let's go up to Hernando, see what Mike's up to. Mike, how you doing, man? Good morning, Felder. You just made a comment about global warming and weather change and stuff. I wanted to add this to it. I'm a firm believer in the ecology of this earth. Trees are on this earth to make oxygen. They resupply the earth. I think one of the problems with global warming is we keep cutting trees you know, the rainforests are being denuded, something fierce. And those are the lungs of the earth. And they wonder why, well, everything's getting warmer and the climate's going bad. It's because we keep denuding the planet. And the planet was built this way to sustain itself. And that's my biggest complaint is every time they start deforesting things, I'm screaming, holy crap. And I'm like, stop, 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 stop. Well, I, I'll be honest with you, and, and I, I, you know, and I, I'm not trying to come across dirt, but I don't want to get into debates about that. But you're right; deforestation causes problems. But there's other stuff out there. I mean, the color of the ocean is changing because of algae, because of the change in temperatures of the of the. There's all sorts of things, and all ball all balled up, and every one of them is important. But it's a collective thing that's causing the problems. You know, I, I do wish that, that that we would require people to have require people have less grass, more trees <laughs> for different reasons. And that's a good one. Anyway, appreciate it, but I don't want to get into debates about stuff, Java. 
I don't know what to say. Well, some things are just observational and you have to point them out. But yeah. like you said, you don't want to get into the debate because about who did what and what and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But, but, things he, are, but things are changing what, and we can see them with our eyes. What, what he said was correct, but it's just one of the things in us. Anyway, let's get back to talking about gardening. And if you want to have a nice lawn, I can talk about that too. But here's the first, the two things I'll say about lawn care. First of all, it's too early to fertilize. Wait till April. This is not my opinion. This is Turf Science 101 from Mississippi State. Wait till April to fertilize. And if you want to spray weeds, it's getting late. might be too late because the grass is green up. will kill weeds. will kill grass. So mow it grows. And wait till April to fertilize. And uh, Java, uh, one of the other producers here, Sir White. Mr. Yeah, the one and only Jay White. Yep. He, he, had, he said a lady called uh, off the line. She said that they wanted to pass it along. Their rhododendrons are being sold at a big box store. And I'm not going to say what town. Rhododendrons. Um, and people go buy them all up because they're pretty. But they don't grow here. Rhododendrons don't grow here. Every now, Aunt Mamie grows one. But she's the only one. So just because it's pretty, just because it's on sale, does not mean it's a good idea to put it. If you're not sure about a plant, think about how much you're willing to throw away. And keep in mind that I drink $6 beers. <laughs> okay? My beer that I drink costs me 6 bucks a pop. I only drink one. Occasionally, I'll get a half. But don't spend any more money on unknown plants, and, and don't invest your heart into it. Uh, got a couple of other things that, uh, to share, but let's go back to the to the phones and talk with first of all with Mike with Matt in Madison. Hey Matt, good morning. Hey Felder, how are you? That's fine. What's going on? Okay, I got a in my backyard. I've, uh, like you suggested, I've got a lot of trees, so that's good. Um, mm-hmm. But right near my back uh, porch is an open area, and historically it had a lot of grass. So I've got big dogs. They've trampled it down yeah, yeah. to nothing but bare, hard soil. Yeah. Um, I've tried feeding grass. Going to be tough because of the dogs and because of the drainage situation. Yeah. What are other options besides grass that I can plant so that it's not a giant monster mud pit every time it rains? And this is in shade or sun? It's. Uh, a little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, Depends for, on the time of day. For dogs and kids, mean no grass. Right. And right. Even so what if are you, other options? Well, there's not, there's not many good ones. Uh, ground covers take a while to spread. You know, monkey grass, this stuff called mondo grass, is pretty durable plant. And the dogs will end up, you know, having their pathway through it. Uh, but mondo grass, once you get established, it looks like a dark green grass. You can mow it once a year, and, and it looks good. Uh, but anything else could be has to be matted and thick and durable. Uh, Asiatic jasmine. Ivy, uh, things like that. Not a whole lot of choice for a ground cover that's going to that's going to grow in sun or shade uh, that'll stand up under dogs. Just not one. So one of you, one of the things you might want to do is design your garden. I actually wrote, uh, wrote an article for a dog magazine about how to landscape your garden for dogs. And one, you can direct them with little low fences. And you know, in other words, make them a path on purpose so a place to go that they can stand up on, you know, put a stump or a pallet or something because they like to stand up and look over stuff and bark. But give them a place to run to, a way to get there, and then guide them by planting, by putting maybe a little low attractive fence type thing here and there. And, and, and use that and plant stuff on the other side of it 
So you have instead of just tree upright vertical trees and flat ground, vertical and horizontal, put something in between. And uh, any kind of physical bear, even if it's just laying some limbs down along a path, they'll stay on the path rather than jump back and forth across the limbs. So, so find their path, give them a place to go, something they can stand up on because they really like that, and then just line one side of the other. And again, start with limbs and stuff. And uh, you can end up growing stuff on the other side like ferns and things like that. In other words, to, to, right. you know, give them a place to go, a way to get there, and keep them on it with some kind of border. Awesome. Great advice. Well, it's easy to say. (laughs) What's that? It's easy to say. Doing it a whole different ballgame. But but do but do you know? Do think about long. It's a long game, right? Yeah, and and do think about giving them something they can stand on and bark. That's what they like to do. They like they like to have something to stand on and bark. That's right. Well, I appreciate it, Felder. Good luck on it, Matt. Appreciate you calling. Okay, we're gonna stay in Madison and talk with Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question about daffodils, mm-hmm. deadheading. I've always heard that you're supposed to deadhead them, but I wonder because the I have, I've dug up in fields and pastures where they just seem to be spreading like crazy. Yeah. So yeah. I deadhead or not? I want them to spread. Okay. First of all, folks who are listening, not sure. Deadhead means when a flower fades, you just pop that little tip off, the little seed pod type thing. Just cut all the faded flowers. That is that's a that's not a, a rule. That's a suggestion for people who are overly neat, okay? <laughs> I've been growing daffodils all of my life. When I was 10 years old, my great-grandmother, I helped her with her 300-plus different varieties of daffodils, and I still have some that are blooming that she planted back in the 1930s. I don't ever deadhead anything. You know, I just, you know, I got bifocal. I don't even see my face. I don't see those things. Not necessarily deadhead them. The energy that would go up in those seed pods uh, does does take away from the bulbs. And so there's a little bit of benefit to doing that, but not nearly enough to make a difference to the plants. It really you see them around old home sites, people don't do squat to them. They, they look fine. Okay. So, so what is the point of the seed pod? Does it spread them? Yeah, yeah. The early blooming variety. See, here's the thing a lot of people don't realize about daffodils. You know, they see them around a home site, they dig them up, they take them home. And it might be two years before they bloom again. And here's the reason why. Daffodils, and this is from working with the American Daffodil Society. I got real good friends. The secretary of the American Daffodil Society for years was the the editor of the newsletter, lived in Madison, Okay, Lois McKenzie. Uh, anyway, daffodils make their bulbs and their flower buds for the next year after they finish blooming. So when you dig them up in full bloom, that stops them from making next year's flower buds. Sometimes they'll keep doing it, but if you interrupt them, it might be 2025 before they bloom. So what I recommend, you see a daffodils you want you, that you want to, to, to move or save, Cut the flowers and use them in arrangements. Enjoy instant gratification. Mark the bulbs, the clumps, and then go back in five or six weeks after the leaves turn yellow and dig them because they're already ready for next year by then. But to answer your question, the early blooming varieties, and we're looking at the kinds of seed around our home sites that spread, they bloom early enough to where they not only make the bulb uh, for next year and the flower bud, but they make seeds in those pods. And the next time they get mowed, those seeds get thrown around, and that's how they spread. The early bloomers like paper whites and jonquils and uh, the, the lint lily the, with the little forward 
the little yellow petals that blow look like they're being blown. Uh, those bloom early enough to where they make seeds that have time to mature before someone comes along and cuts them. Later bloomers, they don't do that. They don't they ain't got time. So anyway, that's what the seed pods were. That's how they spread across fields is from seeds that that, that they had a chance to make before anybody cut them down. Okay, so I won't deadhead for a while and see if they spread more than uh, than what I've had so far. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. And like I say, deadheading is something to do if you got something on your mind. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, appreciate your call. A little psychology there. Yeah, that was interesting. Deadheading is just, like you said, it's really for people who just want to be neat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and that's what weeding is for me. You know, a lot of my favorite wildflowers, other people consider weeds, and I'll leave them there because yesterday I went out and I weeded a little patch because I had some stuff on my mind and it made me feel better. You know, take that, rip, take that, rip, you know, pile it up, throw it over behind the bushes. So a lot of gardening is done for our, our psyche. Because that weed is going to come back. It's going to come back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, deadheading is something that, that, that some people are just very, very neat. I'm not. You know, I can go two days without shaving, three days without shaving. Some people, they got to shave twice a day. Uh, wash your hands all the time. I'm not that way. Uh, but deadheading is just a way of, you know, they go out and they pluck the faded flowers off their azaleas. I'm thinking, come on. You know, get your doctor to prescribe some Wellbutrin. And relax, <laughs> relax. <laughs> now I do have a, I do have a serious question. We were talking about it a little bit earlier um, with all of the pollen. Like, what is it about just us here in Central Mississippi, just Mississippi in general? With just uh, every year, what, what do we have? Like, just the pollen flowers? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> the uh, most uh, pollen producing flowers yeah, in uh, the world. Yeah, gr- you know, grasses they shed a lot of pollen, but we don't notice it. But uh, and ragweed and stuff, but trees. Have two, a lot of them have two different kinds of flowers, the oaks and the pines and all. Two different kinds of flowers, the little things that hang down, the pollen. That's a male flower, and they're shedding pollen, and it blows around onto the female flowers. You know, they don't need bees. It's blown in the wind. So that pollen is, is, uh, is male flower trying, you know, they're just trying to, you know, hook up. <laughs> and it's sloppy. <laughs> They're trying to keep the, and it gets, and it gets, it goes everywhere. They're just trying to keep the party going. Oh man, that's right, okay. that's right. Uh, I, I do want to mention uh, there the Camellia Society. I, I found my finally found my information about that. It's going to be. Um, hang on, I just lost it. Here it is. It's going to be at the the Brookhaven Building. It's on Beltline Road in Brookhaven. Uh, it's going to be Saturday, March fourth. This is the seventieth annual. Brookhaven Camellia Society, uh, and it's it's a really cool thing. Uh, public viewing two o'clock to five o'clock. They got prizes. They got plants for sale starting at eight thirty. Uh, from from a really cool nursery that I know that's down in in Louisiana. It's free. Got some uh, all sorts of stuff. Weather friendly building. Camellia Society show in tomorrow in Brookhaven at the Brookhaven building. I think that would be really, really cool. Uh, also, I found out that the Pike County thing, this is next Tuesday at noon. This is going to be a lot of fun. It's at the community college, Southwest Mississippi Community College there in Pike County. Uh, Friday, uh, excuse me, uh, March the 7th. This is next Tuesday. I'm going to be doing, I'm going to lay it on real thick, real, real thick, because my people are from Pike County. The Felders settled Pike County before it was Pike County. A matter of fact, they got a place called Felders Campground. 
that uh, one of the earliest Methodist camp meetings, Felder's Campground. And this it, is being put on by the Pike County Master Gardeners? That's right. That's right. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. We're going to lay it on real thick. Uh, I think we've got time to also go down to the coast now and see what Hugh is up to. Hugh, what's going on? Uh, yes. Uh, well, it's uh, the warm February, and things are blooming and sprouting and stuff down here. We, we have stuff uh, that I've I never seen bloom in, in, in February and, of course, this is Mars, but things are really off kilter this year. Yes, they're a little early, it seems. But my question has to do with, I think it's a sweet spire. Anyway, it's an, I know it's an ITEA. Yeah, Virginia sweet spire, right. Yeah. So it has put out pups off of it that are like, I don't know, maybe a foot away from the main plant. Now, yeah. Have I missed the opportunity for cuttings or rooting? Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't know about sweet spire. It's a great native plant. It only gets about, oh, knee-high, waist-high maybe. Really, really great hummingbird, fragrant flowers, and it grows in the shade and even in wet areas. It's a terrific spreading Bigger than a ground cover, smaller than a regular bush type of thing, but it spreads by by runners and suckers. You plant one, next year you got one over there, one over there, and that's how they spread. So if you want to move some, find a sprout that you want, kind of small, snip it back to six inches or so high instead of transplanting the whole thing, and just dig that up. Get a little piece of the root and everything. And by cutting it back, it will actually not only helps it get over the stress of being dug, but it makes it branch out. So you'll have more of a shrub this time next year. So cut it back six, okay. six eight inches, dig it up, and then repot it pretty quick. Not gonna have many roots at first. Yeah, I was, I was. So just go ahead and put it in the pot or stick it in the ground. If you got the dirt, you know, go ahead. And, you know, you need to do this fairly soon because they start leafing out. They hadn't already started leafing out. They're going too pretty. By the way, beautiful fall colors on this. But uh, I go ahead and dig the dirt first, then just move them, put them in, step on it, water it throw some mulch on top, walk away. But if you want to get them started in pots and keep them watered till they grow some roots, that works too. Okay, yeah, because I, I see some that are starting the flower and stuff, and I was like, well, I wanted to do something with these over here. Yeah, cut, cut them back. Cutting them back, you know, does, it sets them back in a good way and takes all the okay. stress off of it. All righty. Okay, Thanks Hugh, so appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, Joe, I didn't say anything nasty today, did I? No, today was a good show, man. We we got off uh, uh, like a rocket ship. <laughs> antihistamine, I love it. I forgot. This is great. Between yeah. the between the caffeine and the antihistamines, woohoo! <laughs> Me and Java will be back same time, same place next week uh, talking about gardening. Uh, meanwhile, during the week, we've got all sorts of programs here on food and health and uh, animals and travel. We've got all sorts of stuff going on here at MPB Monday through Friday. Every morning, we're the top station in the country doing this. Local people talking about local stuff. Uh, I've got some questions, but I'm going to wait till next week. Meanwhile, if you get a chance to go to a garden center, they're starting to get stuff in. It's, till, it's too early to put tomatoes and peppers in the ground. I know some of you're going to do it anyway, but go ahead and get them. And uh, give them some sunshine. We'll put them out next week. While you're at it, take a kid with you. Get them a pot full of stuff and show them how to do what we do best, and that's get dirty. See y'all next week. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.